Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. We welcome you to our show today and hope that we can give you some information that will help make you a, a better financial steward of the resources that God's given you and that you can do the right things and hopefully also prevent you from perhaps doing some wrong things that you that you shouldn't do. We're going to be talking about estate planning, estate planning mistakes. We're talking about joint ownership versus uh, power of attorney versus just leaving the assets outright in to your, through your will. That's one of many, many topics we'll be covering today and, and probably next time as well. A lot of information here about estate planning, a lot of mistakes that are made, and we want to make sure that you do the right kinds of things. Some interesting statistics, and some of these are probably not going to be a surprise to, to most of you. These were put out in the Journal of Financial Planning about a year ago, and I'm sure they haven't changed much since then. But they always have this page called the Stat Bank, and I saved these because it was I wanted to use them for the next time we talked about estate planning. And some of the statistics are as follows. So 36% of U.S. adults with children under age 18 who have estate planning documents in place. That's how many have est- So there's a lot of people who don't have estate planning documents in place who have children under 18. Uh, 81%. That's the number of people age 72 or, and older who have estate planning documents in place. So the big difference between someone 72 and older and those who have children under age 18, which I assume in most cases is not the same person, although I think some couples, you hear some of these Hollywood couples and some others that have children when they are 72 or older, uh, I feel for them. Anyway, the next statistic, 17%, that's the number of people who don't have a will, who said they don't have one because they don't want to think about death. Of course, not thinking about it, doesn't keep it from happening. 50%, that's the amount of inheritances that are squandered shortly after receipt. And I've seen that. Uh, you, you hear that with lottery winnings, but it also happens with inheritances. And that doesn't really matter the size. So 50% of all inheritances that are, squ- are squandered shortly after they get them, they don't have the, they, they don't have the, the, the values transferred along with the valuables so they don't know they don't understand uh, about the money it's like free money to them my partner you former partner used to uh, joke around about how uh, his he, he knew people who their their kids would probably stop by the bank on the way after the mortuary and demand all their money and probably already know what they wanted to spend it all on uh, last percentage, 27 is the percentage of wills that feature some language about a pet. Now I was surprised at this. 27% have some kind of language to make sure they have their, their pet taken care of. And right above that it says 68% of all U.S. households that own a pet. 
and 72% of millennials who are pet owners. So more of the younger people have the pets than, than overall the number of people around. So there was a survey, this is a survey that was done recently by Caring.com. So this article is about a year old, so it's a little over a year old that this survey was done. So the survey asked participants why estate planning documents hadn't been established yet. So 29% said they had no one to leave the assets to, or at least they didn't know who to leave the assets to, I guess. And 47% said they simply hadn't gotten around to it yet. That's according to the AARP article. So haven't done a will yet was the name of the article. Uh, one of the things that I also hear about are parents who have young children have not done their estate documents because they can't decide who to want to name as guardian. And maybe they've already asked a few people who said, no, we don't want to be guardian of your children. And that's something else to be considered. But, but if you don't name them, somebody's going to name them for you. So people say, well, I don't have a will. No, everybody has a will. Everybody has guardian's name for their kids. It's either ones you named or it's one the state named for you. Your state names for you. Whether you're listening to me in North Carolina, South Carolina, or Georgia, your state has laws of intestacy which says this is what's going to happen to your state if you don't tell us what to do. So everyone's got one. So now based on you've, how you've seen the state handle other financial matters, how many of you want the state to decide where your assets are going and who is going to take care of your children? I don't think you want that. So this is something that you have to do. And I think even with the guardianship, you want to make sure that you definitely have backups. Because how many times would you think of that happens, and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm sure it happens frequently, where you ask somebody to their face, they're friends of yours, they're family of yours, there's somebody like that who's, who says, oh, yes, I'll be glad to take care of your four kids. And then something happens to you, and then they've got these four kids. Well, they can decline. They can say, no, I, I don't want to do that anymore. So you'll have a backup. Of course, the backup might have been thinking, oh, I'm never going to have to take care of these children because they've got somebody in front of me, and I'm sure they'll take care of them. Well, maybe they will, and maybe they won't. Another thing you should consider when you're thinking about leaving your kids the care for your children to someone else if both of you, both of your spouses are deceased out of the picture now is what about the, the money? So if you have all the money going to the kids and you have somebody different, maybe that's the, the trustee over the children's funds because they're minors, and somebody else that's the guardian because you didn't think they were good with money. You thought they were good with kids and somebody else was good with the money. And you let them take care of the money part. So if you do that and, and you have even two kids, but let's say four children, as in my case. When four children, all of a sudden now you're putting these children in a place to another family. Maybe they have two children and they have three bedrooms. And now there's another two children. There's another four children that come into the picture. What's the best thing for the kids, in my opinion, for, for at least some use of those funds that you're going to ultimately give to the kids? Well, I would suggest that you think about having the, the guardian and the trustees provide funds so that they could buy a bigger house, so that everyone would have plenty of room, and they can take care of those children much easier if they're not all crammed into three bedrooms, you get the four, the five-bedroom house, and, and you use your funds to help pay for that. And then 
Of course, depending on how many years they take care of your children, if you if they take care of your children for 10 years or 5 years, then I would suggest you say, well, I'm going to let you keep the house. Now, you've got to be careful here because you don't want them going going overboard on buying this nice, expensive house that, that they're going to keep because they know they're going to get it when they're through. I mean, there's there's a lot of things to consider when you're cons- thinking about doing something like this. But but think outside the box. If these people are going to be taking care of your kids for a while. I think they deserve something besides just the satisfaction of raising some, some more children. They're not planning on getting any of this kind of inheritance. Maybe ultimately some of that inheritance needs to come back to them to help, to help pay for them doing this. And maybe that that way, that perhaps maybe they're going to be more willing to uh, take the children. Not that they wouldn't anyway. You know, there's love in here, and they want to take care of the kids and do the right thing and so forth. We understand all that. But we want to make sure that the children are taken care of and taken care of well. All right, so we get back from the break. We're going to talk about the, the people not having a will, other documents that you need to consider besides a will. Ultimately, we're going to get to talking about the differences between a joint ownership and uh, just using a, a power of attorney and using a, a trust of some kind. We'll be right back. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust as the sponsor of Talking Money. As a trust company with clients in all 50 states, Ronald Blue Trust can serve as trustee, backup trustee, or even personal representative, what we used to call the executor or executrix. This can be a valuable service, especially if you'd like to pass on your values and not just your valuables to your heirs. Your heirs will probably have one of two perspectives. Either they will say something like, what am I going to inherit? Which is usually the common perspective. Or they will ask, what is going to be entrusted to me? What talents will I be responsible to manage? Tim Kimmel, Director of Family Matters, said it well. Quote, you can't leave character to your trust account. You can't write your values into the will. You can't bank traits like courage, honesty, and compassion in a safe deposit box. What we need is a plan a long-term strategy to convey our convictions to the next generation, unquote. Estate and trust planning are about much more than saving taxes or simply making sure your assets get transferred efficiently to your children. You can find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-PLAN. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome once again back to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you're with us. If you are new to Talking Money, just a refresher, this is not a sales program. You'll be glad to hear we don't sell a thing. There's not a hidden agenda. We're not trying to get you to come in the office so we can do some kind of bait and switch and get you to buy an insurance policy of some kind, an annuity or something like that. No, we're out. We're very out front about uh, what we do, what we charge. Uh, we're a fee-for-service um, financial planning is how I like to operate. I've always, uh, not always, but since uh, early 90s, which seems like always, I've operated that on a fee-only basis. So we think it's important to, to do the best we can, be an objective, and being a fiduciary to help clients answer answer their questions and head in the right direction. Same thing we do with talking money. So we want to make sure that that you understand that we're here to try to help you be a better steward of your uh, financial planning. You can send a question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. 
and I'll get your question and send it and answer that at a future Talking Money show. But just to I always like to remind folks, we're not trying to sell anything. Today we're talking about estate planning. So we're going to talk about we talk about having a will and that everyone has a will. So either the state provides it for you or you're going to provide your own. There's other documents in addition to a will that you really need to consider having. And if you go see a qualified estate planning attorney, and I do say that word strongly, the qualified part, uh, I think virtually any attorney would, would do a will for you. But they probably should not be doing the will. There's a lot of intricacies with estate planning that if you don't do estate planning all the time, that you're not going to know about. You just don't. And the same thing with going to use one of these online services. Uh, They may be fine for you. I don't know uh, because I don't know your situation. So for me to recommend them, I, I just can't do it. So I think you need to see a... A competent, if it's somebody who is a certified specialist in estate planning in their estate, that's that's even better. And it's not really going to cost you probably that much more than an attorney that doesn't do estate planning all the time. And to me, the extra cost is well worth it because of the kind of questions they're going to ask you that that a software program, an online service, usually doesn't know to ask you because they don't know your situation and can't know your situation that well. So I think it's important to work with a professional to do that. And since you only get your will done at at a minimum probably every five years, and most people every 10 or 15 or 20 years, you spread that cost over that many years, and it's really not that expensive to use a competent estate planning attorney. And we've had a number of, on, number of them as my guest on Talking Money over the years and be happy to give you a name of someone if you want to email that to me, and I'll get some more of your situation to find out which attorney might be the best one in your particular situation. I'll give you a couple of names of different attorneys, and you can pick from those. But I would have confidence about any, any of the names that I gave you, but still be up to you to, to make that decision. But one of the other documents you need to look at is a health care power of attorney. Now, that one, that includes a living will, typically. So you hear about the living will, so that's going to be the document, that the end-of-life document that says I can pull the plug, that kind of document. That's usually included inside the health care power of attorney. Uh, so the will is about dividing up your property when you're not around. The, the health care power of attorney is only good until you pass, off, pass away. So in a regular durable power of attorney or financial power of attorney is also only good until you pass away. So the difference between the power of attorney and the personal representatives used to be called the executor, executrix. It's been the PR or personal representative for quite some time now. The difference would be they take over at death. So once the power of, once somebody dies, the power of attorney is no good anymore. So that I'll clear up that confusion for you in case that was something you were thinking. Uh, another um, item that this article in the Journal of Financial Planning talked about is that there's an issue besides not having will and, or only having will and not having some of these other documents is not updating beneficiaries. So you need to make sure you keep updated with those beneficiaries. And let me tell you, it can, it can cause real problems if you're just going by your memories. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's my spouse's primary, my kids are the contingent beneficiary. If you don't set those up correctly, you can have a... A problem and your assets may not go where you want them to go. Well, they give an example here. This one um, financial planner wrote in Forbes. She shared uh, she shared how she had divorced her husband when her children were ages two and four and changed her IRA beneficiary to her father. And it seemed to make sense because her kids were too young. Twenty years later, all right, so her children had to be 22 and 24. She realized she had she hadn't updated that. 
despite her kids being grown. She said, if I'd passed away before making a change, it could have been a disaster for my family. Well, the assets would have gone to her dad, and her dad could have still gone to, to get them to them. But if her dad, she doesn't say this, but perhaps her dad was not even living anymore, then it would go to his estate. And then and then what's going to happen to it after that? It's going to end up going to her other brothers and sisters if she had some, maybe other uh, nieces and nephews if she had some of those. And just because the father's not there anymore to, to, to divvy out those assets. There's also tax issues when it's an IRA. The person who's the beneficiary is the one who's going to take the money out, and they're going to pay taxes at their own bracket. Well, likely the father is going to be in a higher bracket, potentially, than the 22- and 24-year-olds if they got the money at that time, or especially if they got it even younger than that. So there's there's a lot of things to consider when you're trying to to figure all this stuff out. But updating your beneficiaries, make sure you have them correct. And one other point I'll make here is I would I'd recommend that you work with a custodian that allow you to put the language, the per stirpes language in there if that works out for your particular estate plan. So the the way that works is if you had, let's say, three children of your own and you had one child that had children. So you have grandchildren by one of your children. The other two did not have any children. They're married, not married, doesn't matter at this point. The the child that has the children, if they predecease you and you don't change the beneficiary, and then you pass away, so the beneficiary is now who? So you have two. Instead of three beneficiaries, you have two. And the two children that are beneficiaries don't have children. The one who had children had already passed away. Their share, if you don't use that per stirpes language, is going to go to the other two, per capita to the other two, the two that are left. And effectively, that disinherits your grandchildren. You didn't think about it. You didn't know it, but that's what you did. And another point to consider here would be if you have an in-law that you like. So you have uh, two sons, and they are married, and you love their their spouses. You see that there's not going to be any problem. It looks like no divorce in the future, and you love them like your own children and so forth. Then you might want to consider naming them as a beneficiary or as a secondary beneficiary in this document in your will and potentially in your uh, beneficiary designations because an in-law is not going to be automatically. Some people think, okay, well, if my son's not there, my daughter-in-law will get it. Well, she may be guardian of the money and, and watch over the money for the children, her children, but she's not going to be able to use any of it for herself, not directly for herself, just for the benefit of the children. So if you want to make sure that they have access just like your your actual child does, then you actually have to name them so that they are privy to that money. Otherwise, they're, they're not going to be. And we've talked about digital assets in the past. Uh, you want to make sure that people know your passwords and can get into assets and, and give them the right kinds of, of um, access, uh, authority to access that. So this article talks about how... Um, this was recently brought to the forefront when the CEO of uh, Quadriga CX, I've not, never heard of that company, it's a Canadian crypto exchange, died in December without giving the password to offline cryptocurrency wallets to anyone. Customers with $190 million in cryptocurrency stored with Quadriga CX might not see their investment again 
While neglecting digital assets likely won't cause your clients' heirs millions, this is a reminder to not ignore them. So this is somebody that was even in that business, and he knew something about digital assets. He knew something about passwords. He did not give the passwords. It's hard to believe that the, somebody like that would not give the password to someone uh, as they're going through some of that. All right, so um, the next thing we're going to talk about, there was an article that um, was written by... Um, Bob Carlson, and and this article was written, uh, it's been almost two years ago now, and so some of it was not accurate, but it had some, some great information about the seven estate planning mistakes. And we're going to cover those estate, start covering those estate planning mistakes. I'll use that as a guide for me to give you some of my thoughts as well when we get back from the break. And of course, as we wrap up this segment, if you have any questions or would like to learn more about any of the topics, estate planning or other topics I cover on other programs, you can reach out to your financial advisor, your CPA, your attorney, whomever it is you talk to that you have confidence in giving you counsel. Uh, we do believe, however, that it's very important to work with an advisor who shares your values and your biblical worldview. So for more information about that, please call me, Mike Miller, 800-588-7526, or send an email to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. We'll be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's one 800 5887526. Now back to talking money. And welcome back to the second half of Talking Money. So glad you're with us today. We've got uh, some discussions going on about estate planning and I've talked a lot about uh, different things that uh, you need to consider with estate planning. The next thing we're going to talk about is the seven seven big estate planning mistakes that Bob Carlson wrote about back a couple of years ago, but I saved it because I think it's great information. The first mistake he talks about is relying only on a will. So of course that's important. Everybody should have a will. I talked about that that everybody has a will, either the state wrote it for you or it's one that you had written on your own, an attorney drafted for you, and I think that's important. But there's other documents. So you've got a power of attorney, and I would say a durable power of attorney, and that's the document that allows somebody to act on your behalf if you become incapacitated. Not if you die. If you die, the power of attorney is no good anymore. But it's a durable power of attorney is the one that's it's good, you don't have to go through the process of being uh, named a conservator or having a doctor deem you as being incapacitated or incompetent. Uh, somebody can use that durable power of attorney document even right now. That's one of the reasons why I have to be so careful. I had one attorney that uh, named it the take, it take you to the cleaners document. 
So it's one of those documents that they can use. So you want somebody that that you trust very much that's only going to use it when they need to use it uh, and not wait till you go on a trip for two weeks and then you come back and uh, they've t- transferred assets or sold things or did some things that you would not have wanted, which they, with that power of attorney, uh, could potentially have done. And then you have advanced medical directives. So that's the, the health care power of attorney that we talked about uh, that we talked about many times, talked about it again before the break, and that's the one that uh, it's your your medical care, what you want to do, not done. Uh, without those documents, a lot of actions had to be taken. A court appoints someone to to act for you. Uh, it could have been somebody you would not have selected. Doctors will take actions that they deem best, even if it's not what you would have decided, and you would have put your decisions inside that document so that you could. Uh, essentially be telling your your loved ones and the doctors, the medical staff, what you want to do. And, of course, now a will, just to remind you, a will doesn't cover assets that have ownership by contract or by operation of law, as it said. So that's going to be things that that don't go through the probate process in. So things typically that don't have a – that have a beneficiary – so an annuity. So one of the positive things about annuities, and if you listen to me and Talking Money for very long, you know how I feel in general about annuities and my problem still more with how they are sold than, than the actual product itself because I think the products can have value to them, but they're, they're sold to many, many people that I think don't understand them and don't even need them and have too much of, of one thing. So annuity, though, one of the advantages is going to avoid probate because you have a, a named beneficiary. Life insurance is another thing, another contract document that's going to be passed on by way of the beneficiary designation. So no matter what your will says, no matter what your will says, unless the life insurance named the estate as the beneficiary, which is not a bad thing to do, it's not a good thing to do with a um, retirement account, an IRA, a 401k for tax consequences, you don't want that money going to the estate like that because then it's going to be taxed completely different than if it went to an individual. But because there's a named beneficiary on the life insurance, the annuities, the retirement accounts, 401Ks, IRAs, things like that, uh, even jointly owned property, we'll talk some more about that, but jointly owned property, when one of the joint owners passes away, we're not talking about the uh, property that is uh, – a joint owned like um, somebody would have a a business and you have joint owned that property with uh, a a business partner. We're not talking about that kind of joint ownership. Uh, we're talking about jointly owned property that is uh, by right of survivorship that the surviving owner is the automatic owner of that property no matter what your will says. So all those things, your will might say, I want uh, my children to get their money when they're 25 a third of it when they're 25, a third of it when they're, let's say, 35, and I want the other third of it to not be given to them until I feel like they can be responsible for the money, and I know they're responsible by then, so I'm going to wait till I give the last of it to their 55 or 60. Of course, for some people, that's not even old enough for them to be responsible for their money, but you get the idea. You might have that spelled out in your will, but that's not going to matter if they get the assets by way of a beneficiary designation through the annuity, the life insurance, the IRA, the 401k, uh, or if they have to be joint-owned property. So if if you own 
a property jointly. And let's give this scenario. Let's say you are the uh, one of three children and the other two children live out of state. And uh, your mom's getting elderly and she decides that she would like to have you, being the, the local child, to handle all of the different uh, financial affairs that she has, uh, maybe even paying her bills, taking care of things. So what she does, you go to the bank and you, she puts you on the bank account. And she likes to keep a fair amount in that bank account. So maybe she has twenty five, fifty thousand dollars uh, as a good cushion so that you have plenty of money to pay the bills and so forth. So if that's not set up correctly, if it's set up like a joint ownership, as opposed to just being a power of attorney over those funds, which means you don't own them, you're not joint ownership, you just have access and the power to access the funds and pay bills from and take funds from it, put funds in, that kind of thing. If that's the way it is, then then you pass on. Your will says that I want all three of my children to get my assets divided equally. Well, that asset that's joint owned by the, the child who lives locally is joint owned so it's going to automatically go to the other surviving joint owner child. Well, that child could say, okay, yes, I think mom wanted um, this asset to be trans uh, transferred just like the other assets and give out uh, money, a third of it, to the other two children, although they don't have to. They, they could say, well, wait a minute. No, mama said she wanted me to have this money. Because of all the extra time and, and effort I'm spending taking care of her that the two children who are out of state don't do. And and I think, in actuality, that's not a bad thing to do. When you have one child that's taking care of you, then you ought to somehow reward that child. Now, that child may decline it and say, no, I'm still going to do everything and divide it equally. But that would be one good way, one way anyway, to to reward that child or help compensate them for the extra time and effort they spent taking care of you for who knows how long. In some cases, it's six months. some cases, it's six years, ten years. They're taking care of you, and then they don't get any benefit from that. They're doing it out of love. But the other two children got it made. They don't have to do anything for the mother, and they still get – they hardly even come visit sometimes. So that could be a way to equalize the estate. But you just need to remember that the asset, because it's joint-owned, it's going to go to the surviving joint owner. So there again, as opposed to tenants in common, which is the, the joint ownership that you would have perhaps between business partners, between uh, two non-related people, that uh, non-spouse related people who own real estate together, let's say. You own your half, they own their half. It's not an automatic thing. Your half would still go through your will, your estate, your probate, if you are tenants in common, as opposed to joint ownership with the right of survivorship. So there's the differences between those two, and I think it's important to understand how that works. All right, we're talking about estate planning. We're talking about the seven uh, big estate planning mistakes. We're really going to cover six of them because one of them doesn't apply anymore. So we get back from the uh, break. We'll talk more about the power of attorney. We'll talk about uh, how not avoiding probate can, can be an issue. We'll talk about all those things. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Send an email to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And you're also able to go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com 
If you want to hear some, hear want to hear this particular program again because you didn't quite catch anything, catch everything. You want to make sure you understood what I'm talking about, or if it's another subject you want to learn more about. We've got a lot of different topics on talking money. Doesn't cost you a thing. It's all free information, and hopefully you'll get a lot more than what you paid for it. So. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com or TalkingMoneyRadio.com. There's another place to click on Ask Mike a Question if you go there as well. All right, we'll be back with the last part of Talking Money in just a few minutes. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I'm pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust sponsor Talking Money to help educate listeners about financial planning so you have the information needed to help you make more informed and hopefully better decisions. When a Ronald Blue Trust advisor meets with prospective clients, their goal is to determine if any of our services are a good fit for them. They don't sell any products like annuities or life insurance, and as a fiduciary, work to serve your best interest. Perhaps you just need a financial physical from the Everyday Steward Division without any ongoing monitoring, or you're about to retire and need to work with the Private Wealth Division to map out a financial path and then help implement and continuously monitor that plan. Ronald Blue Trust Advisors act like your quarterback, coordinating the advice you receive from your accountant, your state attorney, life insurance agent, and in some instances, even your investment advisor. You can learn more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today. We're talking estate planning, wills, trusts, and so forth. We were talking about jointly owned property versus um, beneficiaries of life insurance policies, IRAs. Another point I wanted to mention before we get off that is the, the transfer on death or payable on death. That's another way to transfer assets that aren't typically passed by a beneficiary. So you may have... A, let's say a bank account, a money market account, something like that, uh, even a brokerage account that is not an IRA. And you would like to have it pass without going through probate. And you don't want to do a, a living uh, trust. You want to do anything like that. that and we'll talk about those uh, at a future talking money. But the, the one way to do that, if it fits, and you have to be very careful with, with using these pro, these types of transfers because you got to remember it doesn't go through your will. So if it doesn't go through the will or probate, then you've got a potential issue that it's not going to go exactly where you want it to go, especially as a backup. They can, they can work pretty well as the initial beneficiary. But what if that beneficiary passes before you and you don't change that payable on death or transfer on death uh, document to have it updated to somebody who's currently living that you want it to go to. You can have a contingent beneficiary, a primary and contingent. You may have all those covered correctly. Just be really careful. But you can't put it into a trust. You can't, I mean, if you could name it to a person, of course, it's not going to go through the will, not going to be set up in a trust. Um, you can have it named to a trust, but you might as well go ahead and put it in a living trust to begin with instead of having it just go to the trust at your death through what's called a, a pour of a will or something like that. But the transfer on death, you simply go to the bank and say, I want a transfer on death document, payable on death document, and it'll look like a beneficiary form. And you say, okay, I want to make sure. And, and when I talked about before the break about the mother who was taken care of by one of her three children and because that account was joint owned by them, they're the automatic owner of it. They don't have to 
share it with the other two children when mama passes away, one way to make sure that, so yes, I, I definitely want them to have this asset to help pay for all the time and energy they spent taking it out of, away from their own life to take care of me, then I want to name a beneficiary. I want to, I'm going to do a payable on death document for that bank account. I can still give them power of attorney. You can sign a document for the bank to say, yes, they can access this account just as if they were you. But upon your death, the payable on death document would then be in place. And then you can have the money go to the children. And then, of course, it would be obvious to the other children that you wanted them to have it, unless they thought you coerced mom into doing it. And there's all kind of things that can happen with, with estate planning and money that, that you can't, it seems like you can't be foolproof on all this stuff. Uh, but at least you would show some indication that your interest was to give those particular assets to that child because you named them as a, as a payable and death person. And, and something else to consider when you're when you're looking at a document, uh, an IRA, 401ks, and uh, annuities, um, the, especially the annuity document. Those, uh, the annuity document does not get a step up in basis at death. So if you had a regular brokerage account and it had stocks in it, and and let's say over the years you you'd paid $50,000 for all the stocks that were in there they were now worth 100,000 so you had $50,000 of gain in that stock and you had a payable on death so you had it going to uh, either a spouse or you had it going to a um, child on a payable on death then if it was in your name by yourself and you had it going to your spouse even if it went to your spouse by way of your will that's that's okay they get a step up in basis, which means when they go to sell the assets in that account, the income tax is essentially wiped clean. So if they sell the whole thing for $100,000 and you'd paid fifty, it was worth 100000 when they died, that $50,000 would not be included as taxable income on their tax return the year they sold that. Now, if it went up more than $100,000 by the time they sold it, from the time that person died, then yes, there would be taxes on the gain above that. But for whatever it was worth at the date of death, you get a step up in cost basis for that value. So if it's a if it's a an annuity and you say, Yes, I want to get this annuity because it's going to grow tax deferred and so I won't have to pay taxes on the earnings until um until I pull the money out. Well if you die and the children then pull the money out, it does not get a step up in basis they'll still pay taxes on that gain at their own tax bracket. So that's one of the one of the negatives. Yes, it's going to bypass probate because it has a named beneficiary, but you're still going to have to pay the tax. Whoever gets it is going to have to pay the taxes on it. Same thing with IRAs. The IRAs don't get a step up in basis. It's, if it's a Roth IRA, the basis is already the same because you've already paid taxes on that. So you don't have to get a step up in basis on a Roth IRA, but a traditional IRA whomever gets those funds is going to have to pay taxes on it. If it goes to the estate, it's going to have to be paid within uh, within just a number of years. If it gets paid to a child, now they have to take it out within 10 years based on the new regulations. We used to be able to take it out over your lifetime, but they not that the kids would, but those who, who were smart enough to do that can now stretch it out over 10 years, but they can't take it out over their lifetime anymore. But they still have to pay taxes on the whole amount. So it doesn't get a step up in basis. So one of the advantages to to 
stock, uh, long-term capital gain type property, real estate, stocks, those kind of things, that you you may not be paying the taxes on it either. Some mutual funds are going to pass through some of those gains, but a lot of the gains are deferred. And so it's unrealized gains. Those unrealized gains, when you pass away, your the, your heirs, whomever gets those assets, is not going to have to pay taxes on it because they get a step-up in basis. Okay, hope that makes sense. If you've got questions about that, of course, you can always uh, send that question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com, and we'll we'll pick that up at a future show. Or wait till next week. We'll answer estate planning questions next week as well as we continue our conversation about this all-important topic. Well, the, the number two mistake that Bob Carlson talks about is expecting too much from a power of attorney. So he says it can take time and some effort to convince a financial institution to accept a power of attorney and the designated agents. And we've seen this happen multiple times where you have a power of attorney document and the institution wants to see that document. They want to review it. And, of course, that's you really want them to do, to do that because you want to make sure that the person who has that power of attorney is the one who has that authority to do it. And it's not somebody else trying to take that place of that person who shouldn't be doing it. So it's it's not a bad idea to send that off to the power of attorney. I think it's also a good idea because of the issues with some custodians is to go ahead and have uh, their particular power of attorney document completed. It's not as good, not as thorough, but I think having that document in their possession as their drafted document, I think that can be an important way to smooth line to to uh, streamline things at uh, when time you need it and we're talking we're not talking about when you die now we're talking about before death taking care of your financial affairs because it's a power of attorney once you pass on the power of attorney is no good anymore it then goes to the personal representative who is named in your state as the one who is supposed to take care of this so we get back next week. We'll talk some more about not avoiding pro, not uh, not avoiding probate, uh, leaving assets outright to uh, adult children, not making the full use of a living trust. Some of the other mistakes he mentioned. He talks about portability of a spouse. We won't talk about the unused exemption too much for that. And then leaving a messy estate. We're also going to talk about estate planning as it relates to uh, widows. What kinds of things should you set up in place to make sure that they are t- are well taken care of? Just like everything else, though, as we wrap up today, if you have questions or want to learn more about any of the topics I covered in the program today, reach out to your financial planner, your advisor, CPA, tax attorney, whomever it is you trust for those kinds of, of conversations. I believe, I think, I, I really believe, however, it's very important to work with an advisor who shares your values, your biblical worldview. So for more information about that, please call me, Mike Miller, 800 588 plan. That's 800-588-7526. Or send an email to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Once again, that's mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Thanks for joining me today. We'll talk to you next week for the next Talking Money.